Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have a fantastic episode with the amazing Craig Johns. Now, Craig Johns is originally from my hometown, from Taranaki, but living now in Canberra in Australia. Now, Craig is the CEO and founder of Energy to Perform. He's a CEO himself. Uh, he has a background is 25 years global experience working in the sport, health, mind, education, and hospitality industries. And he loves to help people become high-performing leaders. He's also coached at the elite level, Olympians, triathletes, world champion athletes um, across a number of areas. And he is really at the top of his game as far as uh, human performance. And I was really privileged to be on his show last week, and he's agreed to become come on to my show this week. So you're in for a really interesting session. If you want to know about being a high-performance leader, if you want to know about high-performance in sport, then this is the man you need to listen to. Um, just before I hand over to Craig now, I just want to remind you my book, Relentless, is now available. You can still send out copies. So if, if you hop over to <clears throat> Relentless Book. .lisatarmaty.com, relentlessbook.lisatarmaty.com. You can order there and you can order audiobooks, ebooks, Kindle, Amazon, you name it, all the options are there for you to, see, uh, to, to purchase that book. Um, I had the, the privilege of having a wonderful online book launch just a couple of nights ago and we're going to be doing a, a, a weekly one of these. So if you want to join me on one of those sessions, a live session with me, talking about the book of course my mum will also be there um then please reach out to me and i'd love to let you know when the next one is happening um you can reach out to me at lisa at lisatarmaty.com and if you enjoy the show please don't forget to rate and review this podcast it really really helps us get more exposure and we have some brilliant people sharing their incredible knowledge right without further ado over to craig johns well, hi everyone, Lisa Tamadi here at Pushing the Limits. It's fantastic to have you with me again. I hope you guys are all staying safe out there as best as you can in this crazy time. Now, I'm sitting today with the lovely Craig Johns from Canberra. And Craig is the CEO and founder of Energy, uh, Energy to Perform. So welcome to the show, Craig. Thanks for coming on board. No, Lisa, it's great to be uh, on your show after we had a great interview the other day. Yeah, it was fantastic. So I had the privilege of being on Craig's show as well. Um, Active CEO, if anyone wants to go and check that out, Active CEO. Now, Craig, can you give us a little bit of background about your life and your story and um, what you do these days? Uh, so I grew up in uh, Taranaki as well, so uh, from the same region. I grew up on a farm. You know, Families were pretty simple. You know, dad you know, worked on a farm since he was 14 years old. He he went through kind of a school of hard knocks and was around a pretty rough crowd. And it, the teachers would say to him, look, you know, you're not going to make it in life. And when he was 14, him and his mate, they liked doing mass and liked PE and liked uh, eating their lunch. And so they went to the principal and said, look, you know, we're wasting your time, us being here, and you're wasting our time. So how about we build the furniture for your school? And wow. so they agreed to it. So they got access to the woodwork room and metalwork room and started building furniture. Uh, and then at the age of 14, he left school, went farming and retired at 45. So wow. I think he uh, sort of proved them wrong in that sense. Um, my mum 
also came from a farming and hospitality background. Um, her, her nana owned a, a famous pub in Patia and, you know, they, it's a lot of time spent on the farm. And I think that grounding from both of them, very simple life, appreciate the small things. You work really hard and then the benefits will come. And, uh, from a, and also from a sporting side. So I had a, had a fortunate to both sides of the family have coaches. So dad's side were all around field hockey and my mum's side were all around cricket. So I had this great grounding from a sport point of view and also from coaching and leading people, which was just fantastic. I moved to Auckland to study uh, sports science at university. I went on to do things around masters in biomechanics before heading overseas. Uh, so my work in Auckland during that time was around sports science for some of the Olympic teams, some of the professional sports, and was always coaching from the age of 15. So I love coaching swimming, surf lifesaving, and triathlon, and was working with some pretty amazing athletes during that time. When I was uh, 24, I got uh, this call to, we've got a swimming coach opportunity for you in Taiwan. <laughs> And I was kind of like, well, I'm living at Murawai. I've got a beautiful view over the Murawai Beach in Auckland. And I've got these amazing opportunities. But I just thought, you know what? Hey, I'm 24 years old. There's this incredible world out there. I know nothing about Taiwan. All I think of is these just big, tall buildings. And my friend was like, no, nah, it's really cool. There's like massive mountains. There's beautiful beaches. Um, it's a safe place. It's um, just amazing people. And so I thought, you know, why not? So I packed up my bags at 24 and that started my worldwide adventure and I've now lived in five places and wow. currently based in Canberra. And you've done a lot of work in the triathlon space, is that correct? So tell us a little bit about some of the, the, the sort of work you've been involved with there. Yeah, so I've been a triathlon since I was uh, nine years old was my first triathlon. Wow. And so it was in my, in my blood from quite an early space and I naturally transitioned into triathlon where overseas I was coaching the Taiwan national team and went through to work at one of the uh, sort of most famous and beautiful places in Phuket called Tanyapura, which is the only place where they have sport, mind, health, education, hospitality as an integrative approach. And so we were working with a lot of the world's top triathletes there. And then the last five and a half years I've been in Australia um, as a CEO of the sport of triathlon in Canberra and then working with the national team. So quite a, quite a big involvement and it's just a beautiful sport with a great community. Yeah. So, okay. So what have you learned as a, as a person from being an athlete that you've taken over into your corporate world, if you like, into your business and your, what you're doing now? Yeah, so I think when you're very young and you're in sport, you learn some great basics for, um, Succeeding in life, so you have time management, discipline, hard work, um, overcoming adversity, you know, resilience. If we look at what's happening right now in the world around COVID-19 and coronavirus, it really sets you up to handle those situations well. Um, you've experienced loss before. You've experienced hurt and pain before. You've experienced the unknown and um, overwhelmed many times. And you've always made a way out of it. Yeah, you, know, you just don't give up. You, you know, could be out on a on an eight hour bike ride, and you're stuck three hours from home, and you've run <laughs> out of energy, and <laughs> battling a eighty k an hour headwind, and it's five degrees, and you just don't want to go on any longer. But you 
start playing mind games, you think positive thoughts in uh, next minute and you just go from lamppost to lamppost or town to town and then next minute you're like, oh, I'm only 20 minutes from home. And you get home and it kind of feels a bit tiring and then you kind of wake up the next day and go, oh, what's next? Where's the big next big yeah. challenge? So I think those aspects are really good. And a sport like triathlon, you you win less than you lose. So, you know, in a team sport, you've got a 50% chance of winning every single time. And I was fortunate to be in a field hockey team where we never lost a game. The Stratford hockey team in the Taranaki League, they went something like 270, 270 games straight without losing a game. <laughs> so it's a record in New Zealand for any sport. And it was a phenomenal time to be part of that because I learned how to win. And there's some great lessons in winning all the time. However, in triathlon, there's also potentially a better side where you are learning so much because it is so difficult to win when you might have you know, a couple of thousand people on a start line or even if it's 50 on the start line, your chances of winning are not that high. No. You have to learn uh, to deal with winning isn't everything, but what is winning? Like, so it may not be first across the line, but it might be, okay, I've improved my swim or I was able to stay with that pack longer or I felt better on the run. So there's always ways that you can be winning, but it may not just be that gold medal around your neck. That never comes instantly. That, that, that actually standing at the top of the podium is always a progression of years to get there and many, many in the, in the, in the individual sports, um, you know, and lots of semi-failures and problems along the way and overcoming it. And then when you get to the top, you don't stay there either. So it's learning to manage that whole system and keep going. Um, so the biggest lesson there would be, yeah, definitely keep keep working towards your goals. Would that be right? Yeah, it's just small steps and appreciate the small things. I think it's times like these where you need to have a bit of gratitude for yourself. Yep. Uh, yes, you need a lot of gratitude for other people and acknowledge and thank uh, and be kind to them. But a lot of people forget to do that with themselves. Oh, yeah, we're our worst critics, aren't we? Yeah, worst <laughs> critics. So it, it is so important to be, you know, looking every day. What What is something I did really well today? Well, well done. You know, that's great. Or I'm off the couch this morning and I'm out running and no one else is. And, and, and there are lots of little things that you can just look after yourself a lot more effectively. And you can do that in day-to-day life. And I think people, um, as much as this is going to be a very challenging time, I think people have the opportunity to learn to appreciate the small things in life and be yeah. around their families and, you know, maybe potter in the garden or whatever it may be and realize how important that is to success in life over a long period of time. Yeah, and taking the long view on this one. Now, Craig, I know you have a bit of a story yourself, um, a story of, of going, you know, working so hard and burning out and um, coming into a bit of a drastic situation. Can you share that, that sort of background story? Because, you know, these are the stories that really teach us. Yeah, they are. I think from a very young age, I've always, you know, pushed the limits. For me, it was... I'm trying to find that new space. Um, Where can I take my body? How much can it handle? And, you know, I wasn't the most talented person out there, but I had, damn, I had some grit and hard work ethic in me. And I think that comes from (laughs) from my mother. Yeah, I think we're both the same there. And, and, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you know, you you did really well. You're successful into world champs. And I said, yeah, there was a lot of hard work in that. And, you know, there are a lot more talented people, but I managed to get ahead of quite a few of them just because I was, 
more determined and had that dogged approach to say, you know what, I'm going to prove people wrong. I'm going to prove science or, or medicine wrong. And I yeah. want to see if I can get there. I love it. Love it. Uh, so I, I triggered heart problems and, and probably stress and burnout to a certain extent, not always burnout, but pushing that limit three key times in my life. So the first one was when I was uh, 15 and I'd come off a week-long swim camp at Christmas time. I had done some things I'd never done before. I had people stopping in the lanes watching me do a set and it was just absolutely flying and this felt amazing. And the next day was New Year's Day. I got out of bed at six o'clock in the morning, went to go to the bathroom and fainted and went out for a very long time. Uh, my dad, who had just had a hip replacement, was on crutches and sort of come along and tapped me and he thought I was could have been dead because he he couldn't bend over at that time. And he said my eyes were in a state that he'd never seen before. And being knocked out for over five minutes is um, you know, fairly scary for a lot of people. Mm. And you know, that opportunity I spent some time in intensive care, uh, and, and word was spreading around the community that I'd had heart attacks and all sorts of things that happened to me. Um, and it took a little while for um, the cardiologist to try and make sense of what was going on at that time. And they initially said, look, you know, you have to give up sport. That's it. Your resting heart rate is too low. Um, it's, it's still 32 right now. And I get down to 24 at night. Um, my wow. max heart rate is still over 210. Wow. And I've always had an extremely low blood pressure of 90 over 60. Yeah. So all those things were, were there. And if I stressed too much, there was a recipe for disaster in a way. Mm. And so they, but they couldn't find an actual reason to why I was having these heart problems at that time and why I was really struggling. And so in the end, they just said, look, you can go back to sport but you need to monitor and listen to yourselves. And I made two New Zealand teams within a year um, and, and obviously um, had a very successful career after that. The second time I did it was I was working in Taiwan. I was qualified for World Half Ironman Champs. So I was pushing the limit about six weeks out from the event. We had a big period of work where I'd be working around 60 hours a week, plus I was training 30 hours a week. Um, and, and just I mean, I was always some to try and find where is that balance on the high performance edge and I just pushed it too far. And so I had the same thing happen there. Not to the, I wasn't fainting uh, so much because I had a pacemaker in by then. Yep. So it was stopping me from doing that. Uh, so that was the second time. And then the third time I was in Thailand, I was working uh, 70 to 80 hours a week, loved every single minute of what I was doing. I would work 302 days straight Yep. and wow. woke up and did the big faint again. And, um, you know, obviously this time I'm married and my wife's freaking out. She had never been in a hospital apart from being born pretty much. And, you know, this took a big toll on her. And I spent quite a bit of time in hospital again in Thailand and was <laughs> during that time I realized it wasn't, about me anymore and it was more to you know what hey look yeah my heart's struggling a bit here and I'm not feeling well but you know what oh I've got the resilience I'll bounce back from it right you do it all the time in training you know you work hard you smash yourself to bits and you get a bit of recovery and you bounce back and away you go again yeah, yeah. pretty quick 
but in this instance, uh, there was a lot more to it. And I could see the effects on the staff. You know, we had 500 staff. So you could see how that affected them and, and especially my wife. And at that point, I was like, you know what, I need to change. I'm, I'd put on 14 kgs. I'd stopped exercising. I wasn't eating well, even though I was at the healthiest place in the world. Um, and I was only getting four to five hours sleep a night. So I wasn't allowing my body to... <laughs> to recover, right? So I wasn't giving it a chance whatsoever. No, no. And what was really, and, and obviously at that time I decided the, the term breaking the CEO came up for me at that time, breaking the CEO code. And it's that concept is now sort of really developed out in working with CEOs and executives around that and also, you know, building out programs for corporates, et cetera, as well. Mm. So that's where that came from. But one of the real interesting things is when you're an athlete, you base everything, everything's based around recovery. So yes, you've got the hard work, but it's based around recovery because that's when the, the gains happen. That's when the high performance gains actually occur. And I, you have really strong triggers. So when you push the limit in training or at a race, your body tells you, you know, you, your time's not as good, your heart rate might be up, your sleep patterns go off, um, appetite can change. And so there's a lot of really strong triggers that you're aware of. And generally, you're recording a lot of data. So you, or you've got a coach that can see things as well. When you're in the working world, you don't have that. It's not a physical fatigue unless yeah. you're in certain industries. Yeah. So it's a real psychological fatigue. And unless there's a catastrophic event, you don't realize what's happening especially so, i think that's like excuse me to interrupt but that's when you're an athlete you only value breaking yourself physically so you think any mental stress is just like oh get over it you haven't run 200 k's today you know like yeah. it's not that bad <laughs> and yeah. you underestimate how much pressure that that can put on your actual your system when your brain is stressed and when you're when you're pushing the limits mentally it takes a lot of energy. I mean, 20% of our energy goes just into our brain, 20% of our calories, for example. Yeah, and, which is, you know, and, it's, and part of that. So what's happening when you're in psychological fatigue or in your workspace is the change in fatigue and energy levels is so gradual and our body's so clever at adapting, you don't understand what's going on. You, you don't feel it. And it keeps dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping until it's too late. You don't realize it. Crash. And generally, it's either you take a couple of days off or you go on a planned holiday and you get sick quite often, yep. or you get to a point where I did where I had just worked 302 days straight, full on, 100% the whole time. There was, it was go, go, you know, 24-7, never stop thinking. And the body just went, you know what? I'm going to have to put the brakes on here. I'm going to put the handbrake on and we're going to hit real hard and you're probably going to hit a lamppost at the same time. And, yep. and it's what happened. And there's a and big is, lesson. The body is a very clever thing. It, when it, you know, even in the in the athletic world, like um, when you're running super super, you know, like when I ran through New Zealand, my body was like shutting my body down, and your mind is so strong that you push through the pain and you carry on, and yeah. then my body actually did, you know, pick up and I could carry on till the end of that that run, but I paid the price for the next five years. Well, actually, I'm still yeah. paying the price if I'm honest. You know, because you push through those, you push through that that survival limit, you know, and you do do damage. It reminds me of a really funny story. Um, I was racing Ironman Austria back in 2005, sort of in my first 
Ironman. Oh, uh, yeah, first Ironman. So a week before I had, um, oh, God, this is going to be my head. Uh, not a boil. Um, An infection. Uh, going to my head. Anyway, so I, I had, had, a, had a medical problem. Yeah. And um, so from that, they said, oh, look, you know, you may not be able to race. And so during the race, like I felt good beforehand. And I said, okay, look, yeah, you, you've got the clearance, go for it. And I felt amazing, right? I, was, I swam really well up with the front packs, out onto the bike and feeling good, got to 50K. And then I just started vomiting from 50K right through to the 100, into the 180K ride. And I'm sitting here going, I don't know how I'm going to get through this race if I can't get food done. And got onto the run, felt good. You know, I felt pretty crap near the end of the bike and then got on the run and felt good for the first 10K and going along nicely. And then I'm like sitting there going, I need to eat and I need to drink because I haven't kept anything down all day. You know, we're six, seven hours into the race by then. And I remember <laughs> I remember sitting down at the 21K mark and it, it was a loop a double loop course. So you come back past the finish line a couple of times and I could hear on the loudspeaker, a friend of mine, Reynard Tissink being called out saying our winner, our champion for today, Reynard Tissink is about to cross the line. And so I remember that. And that's the last thing I remember. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I woke up in the medical tent and I was like, how did I do? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, you know, where did I finish? And they're like, didn't. Uh, we found you at the 22k mark running down the wrong road and we were trying to stop you and you're like no leave me i'm about to catch the winner yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> completely out of it just lost it you know my body wanted to keep going but i had absolutely amazing isn't it amazing how strong the mind is though that you can push yourself to almost killing yourself yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah um and and like you, you know, through all this, these, you know, this, 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 this cycle, if you like, of, of going hard, crashing, growing hard, crashing, going hard, crashing. Did you start to learn something from there that you have actually like used today in your, in your world today? Yeah. So when, I, so when I was sitting there and I talked about, you know, being in that position in hospital, you know, a couple of years ago and I realized I needed to break the CEO code. And the big thing for me was I have all this amazing knowledge and lessons learned from the athlete world, from coaching, from being a sports science in that high performance space. And I was using none of it. Yeah, Absolutely none of it. Uh, and, and here's a lesson for everyone in life. There are four basic fundamentals to performance for anyone, no matter what you do. It's exercise, nutrition, freeing your mind and recovering with purpose. Now, all of those have effects on your ability to perform mentally, physically, emotionally, uh, and they have huge effects on things like your mood, on your ability, your cognitive function, your ability to, to actually process information. And if you don't have those in balance, then you will limit your performance potential. So I always look at it this way. You're talent sets your minimum performance ceiling your exercise your nutrition your freeing your mind and your recovering with purpose determines how high you can lift the ceiling wow. right so that is what controls that your talent controls just your minimum height so you could be the most talented person in the world but if you don't look after yourself you're not going to get anywhere near your potential 
And so obviously we see that quite often they get lazy and, you know, everything's too easy for them when they're younger. And then finally some people who actually really look after themselves come through and shine above them. Mm-hmm. And that works in whatever space it is, whether it be a musician or a speaker, um, a coach, an athlete, a parent, whatever it may be, that will determine it. And then the second aspect is uh, that I really thrived on and tested and tried many times is periodization. And I've determined it CEO periodization. Now, periodization initially comes from cataloging in the library system and it was cataloging on periods of time then the sporting world took it especially in endurance and used it to periodize their their work and stress loads and balance it with recovery periods so that they could get um, jumps in performance over time so as they recovered their performance would go to a higher level they would stress it they drop down their performance but then when they recovered it would go higher again mm-hmm. so i applied that to work Um, And as we talked about before, you don't recognize the fatigue that's going on and you push and push and push. And because the stimulus is that the change is so small and it's a catastrophic event, then you don't, your body's adapting to it. So it's so important to actually plan the recovery in. And that can be on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, yearly, or career basis. Mm. Now the career one is fascinating because I've only met two people so far who do this extremely well. One is Anne Gripper, who used to be CEO of Triathlon Australia, and she's now working at New South Wales Office of Sport as their CEO. And she is into her fourth cycle of five years in a job, one year off. Five years on, one year off. And she planned that, you know, uh, where we're looking at about 17, 18 years ago now, nearly 20 years ago. And each of her breaks, she's done something completely different. Yep. And some may think of it as a sabbatical, but no, this is actually planned. It's not seven or more years. It's, it's every you know, five years on, one year off. And so she cycled the world for one of them. She set up a philanthropy uh, in another one. And the other one, she has gone off and done her master's at one of the prestigious um, postgraduate schools in Switzerland for sport. Wow. What a lady. So I'm looking forward to what's next. I don't know. I haven't actually spoken to her what's next. The other one is Dale Beaumont. Del Beaumont is a bit of a legend in the personal development and kind of marketing space and has a huge following in Australia and, and around the world. And he's been working for 17 years in kind of that personal development space. For the last 10 years, he works two months on, one month off. Wow. Two months on, one month off. And so during that one month off, he generally goes to a new country around the world. He takes his, his wife, his young children. And he's been, I think he's over 100 countries now that he's been to. And so that's the approach he's taken. Now, he has a, he's built a team behind him. He's put trust in him. I'm sure he works extremely hard during the two months, but then he has a full one month off where it's completely off work. Wow, well organized. Yeah, extremely good. Uh, if we took it, look at it from a year point of view, most people will go, all right, I've got four weeks holiday. I'll take them off in say the southern hemisphere they'll take them off at christmas and they'll spend time with the children over summer Uh, northern hemisphere would obviously be july august period so what they do is they work 11 months and then they just have this recovery there so it's a long time to be staying on and performing at a high level exactly yeah and so what's more effective is how do we look at can we put things in every three months or every four months and actually scheduling those in your diaries before the start of the year 
like an athlete would. They plan their recovery periods out well in advance, sometimes up to four years if they're into an Olympic cycle, and it's set. And you set that with your family and you plan that so that you're both off at the same time if that's what you want to do. If you're married, if you're not, then obviously you just need to look after yourself. It's a bit easier. Um, But as you plan that time away from the work that you're doing, away from the passion that you're in, get out in nature, go see some new places, change your environment and allow that mind to refresh and the body to recover in that as well. Uh, And then obviously we can take that down to even into a week space where how do we cycle those periods? What has been fascinating through the research we've done is pretty much in in endurance athletes and also in anything that's done in business, it works out to be about a three to one work to rest ratio. Three to one. Three to one. So say an athlete will generally go three weeks on, one week off, three weeks on, one week off. Now, if sometimes they may do a longer period of up to five or six weeks, and then but then they need a longer recovery period to balance that back. But it still equals somewhere around three to one unless they're doing something really extreme and then there they might need to be a lot more recovery. In the working world, they do stuff, uh, say, on a daily basis where they look at how long can a, a high performer achieve high levels of performance and productivity over a period of time. Now, there's some that say 52 minutes um, of work at that level and before they start to lose the, the performance and lose the productivity, yep. and it takes about 17 minutes to get that back. There are others who say 45 minutes, 15 but most of the studies are still based around a three-to-one work-to-rest ratio. So it's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go through what a lot of CEOs and a lot of businesses and a lot of families are going through right now, which is a massive stress load with yeah, massive. dealing with yeah. coronavirus, et cetera, you are actually going to need more recovery in there yep. or a longer piece of recovery coming up. Now, we're pretty much going to be forced to doing that because you're working from home. Yep. There might be some stresses, yes, but you're pretty much going to be forced to do that, which will be really good for you, really good for you to take that time out to recover. Um, uh, We're using it to recover and not to freak out. (laughs) Yeah, and so the key message is here that it's all around proactively planning your recovery so you can sustain high levels of performance and productivity all the time. All over, yeah. And that's what I've been able to do since then. I don't drink coffee. I don't have sugar. I don't... um, touch soft drinks. I don't have any caffeine whatsoever. I can't because of my heart anyway. Yep. But I have consistent energy all day. I don't get to a point where I fall over. I don't get to a point where I feel it decline. If that happens, it's extremely rare because I plan my recovery. I've got my exercise, nutrition, freeing my mind and recovering with purpose embedded every single day. Yep. And if I do need to do a period of harder work, then I will... I will plan a longer period of recovery in there. So I will look at it and go, okay, this project is going to take quite a bit of time. So I know I need to um, have some recovery in it. And at the moment, I am having to start pretty early in the morning because of dealing with some stuff with COVID-19 from a local, national, international level in multiple areas. So I have to start at five or six in the morning and I may not finish till nine at night, but I go out in the middle of the day and I go for a two, three hour bike ride and, and have some recovery time in the middle of the day. So I ensure that I can perform at a high level. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really about planning and doing the very basic things well. And that's just your sleep. Like, you know, when you were doing in Taiwan and you had that, uh, or Thailand, was it uh, four to five hours a night sleep? That's a disaster for your hormones, 
you know, wonder you put on weight, you know, all of those sort of things um, are really, those sort of things are really crucial. But the sleep, the hydration, the nutrition, and the mental breaks, I think if we, we all agree on that, and the exercise, the exercise oh. is absolutely key. And, you know, that's, that's we we're singing from the same song sheet there, I think. Yeah, and it's really important. Like, there's been a whole thing over the last sort of ten years around that the high perform or that that people can go without sleep and that they're performing massively. Now, there's something oh, trying to remember what the statistic is. You want Alzheimer's? It's a good way to get it. Oh yeah, I think it's something like seven percent. It may even be less than that of people that can survive that that can function at their highest level off around five to six hours. Now, it's it's very few. But most people, it's around eight to nine hours. And every time you reduce that, like say if you reduce it by half an hour, you probably won't notice it too much because your body's adapting to it, but it does have quite a big effect on, on your IQ, mm-hmm. um, so your intelligence, your emotional intelligence. Um, as you said, your hormones, which affects uh, things such as energy. It affects such as things as your mood. It affects um, your ability to cope under pressure. Uh, really important things that you need to have firing in all cylinders. So the people that are thrive, or sorry, yeah, people that are thriving at the moment rather than just surviving through this, the COVID nineteen and coronavirus, are people that actually ha- are sitting quite healthy and are able to make decisions rationally, are able to uh, go through thought processes and. Um, ensure that they have the cognitive function to deal with things effectively. Those that have come into it that are tired, that don't have don't have a healthy body, are the ones that are struggling the most. Yeah, yeah. mentally and physically. And you know like that that sleep deprivation one um, that really over time leads to cognitive decline. You know, which I'm you know specialised in, in that learning about brain rehabilitation and. And the correlation between Alzheimer's and dementia and lack of sleep over many years is a, is a very strong one. Um, so for that reason alone, you know, you need to, if you want to have a brain that is performing into, you know, like this starts already in your 30s and your 40s, you know, this is already a marked decline um, in, your, you know, optimizing every area of your life so that you can cope with the stresses, you know, like. I've got a, a you know a, a relatively healthy, fit body, and I can face this crisis with a better lot of energy to to focus on. You know, like I've got more to to to, to more resilience. And and at the moment, we're all going a little bit well. Some of us are going insanely hard, um, and we have to for this short period of time. And that's okay, as long as we're then planning in as soon as this winds down that you've got some recovery in there somewhere. Otherwise you will blow. I mean, I know this like with my mum having that aneurysm and, you know, the book that I've just put out relentless, the the first three years were seven days a week, you know, operating two companies, working with her all day and not a day off, never a day off. Um, All day, you know, in the first six months it was round the clock. And there was hardly any time for sleep. It was, yeah, four to five hours of sleep. And, you know, I paid to, I paid a massive price, but I had to, to survive. And now I have to, my body isn't quite as resilient as it should be. And I have to rebuild those resources again. Um, and that's an extreme, you know, situation that you had to, you know, and we know as athletes how to do that for a period of time. The thing is, 
don't mix mean don't don't mistake mental toughness with with um you know you're 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 still a human you're not bulletproof and even though we like to think we are as athletes we're not and we will have limitations and we need to respect our bodies and give them time to come back sooner or later and hopefully sooner um so craig you know I, I need to wrap up shortly and i know that you've got lots of things to get on with so the periodization the three to one is a really important factor adhering to the basics uh going what else have you like what what else would you like to leave as parting words for people to think about and where can they find you and reach out to you if they want to work with you yeah brilliant i think one of the best the the most important things is here is that it's about the basics you know if we look at the most effective sports teams in the world or most effective athletes they focus a lot on the basics and getting them right what we're seeing a lot now in, say, the sporting world is we're seeing a lot of people going for the shiny things. They want to mimic the plays that the All Blacks do. They want to be trying to do the same sessions as an Olympic uh, runner, yeah. et cetera. And so they want to go for the shiny things first. It is all about the basics. And that's the same thing when it comes to looking after your body, no matter whether you're a mum or you're a CEO or you're someone going to work or uh, you look after the 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 community bridge club it's about the basics if you want to be a high performing person i think that's really really important the the second thing is that you need to obviously make sure that you're preparing to perform every day if we look at athletes singers dancers songwriters artists in what people would term as the performing areas um, and what they don't realize everything is performing, but I'll consider those as performance ones. They yeah. spend over 95% of their time training, preparing, planning, and less than 5% of their time actually competing. Now, when it comes to the business world, corporate world, it's the complete opposite. So they actually spend more than around 95% of their time actually competing. Yeah. And very little time planning, preparing, training to be better, to improve their performance and to get the best out of their team. So I have the second phase of breaking the CEO code is performance. It's the three P's of leadership performance. We touched on CEO periodization. The second one is CEO presence. Now CEO presence is around how do you turn up, uh, sorry, how do you show up and turn it up? So it is how do you prepare for a meeting or an interaction or for a project? Because most people just roll in. You know, we see quite often in the corporate world where people will go back to back to back meetings. Um, and even if they don't, they'll just rock into a meeting. They'll pull out their diary and go, oh, we're talking about this today. Can someone brief me what's happening? Yeah. Absolutely zero preparation. There's no preparation <laughs> to. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and we all get caught in it sometimes. But wouldn't it be more effective if you actually planned for it? You thought about what you were going to say and what impact you were going to have on people. Uh, and, and you speak. So generally, as a speaker, one of the key things you focus on before you get on stage is you visualize how you want the audience to react and feel afterwards. How do you want them to react and feel afterwards? So one, you've got to bring the performance, bring the energy, and you've got to evoke the emotions yeah. that are required. So that's in any meeting, in any discussion, in any sales. Um, any relationship, 
it's so important evoke the right emotions not <laughs> just any emotions the right that. emotions <laughs> <laughs> and then once you evoke the emotions you then need to make sure that you leave them with a message yeah. and something to do next so what what is the action that is going to occur so presence is all about your nonverbal communication it's around your communication as well, what content you're going to say. So go back to nonverbal. It's around your body language. It's the way you bring your energy to the room. Um, and it's, it's the most important aspect because people feed a lot more off the nonverbals than they do the verbals. So we actually react to, to 97% of the message comes from the nonverbals, not the actual verbal content or not what you're saying. Yeah, that's how, how you say it yeah. and how you deliver how you it. Show up. The energy you bring, yeah, yeah. So that presence is so important. So we, a lot of the time, we start we talk with our with the say CEOs, executives to go. All right, let's cut your schedule, your meetings in half, and it freaks them out. <laughs> and we normally have to get the PA on to to do it, and and it teaches them to delegate the lower medium priorities to other people to look after, and so they just focus on the high priorities. And this is so important right now during COVID nineteen and coronavirus. Yeah. You need to identify what are the high priorities and then determine what is going to have the greatest impact with the least amount of effort. And you move the medium and low um, priorities and delegate them and empower your staff to look after those and give them some responsibility. Don't take all the responsibility yourself. Mm. So that's a really powerful thing right now. Um, and then obviously once we've reduced the number of meetings, we we then go, okay, we need to put some time beforehand. So you plan, not just understand the content and maybe your outcome, but how you're going to deliver it. And then after the meeting, you need to make sure you've got a debrief and some time to recover because we need to make sure that you're performing that three to one work to rest ratio throughout the day. So that come four or five o'clock when you may need to be making some really key decisions, you still have the energy, you're still able to perform at your best to bring the best out of the people you've got. So powerful. The third phase is CEO performance. And CEO performance is around developing high-performing habits. And high-performing habits are a lot around making sure that you have, you're in your best mental state, that you're removing any obstacles, any uh, things that are cluttering your mind, anything that is preventing you from being at your best. So it does integrate to that first that first phase of your foundations of exercise, nutrition, freeing your mind and recovery. It does include those, but there are also other things. It's around ensuring that you don't contaminate the home space with the workspace. Yeah, uh, this is really, really important right now. Right now. <laughs> are working at home. Yeah. So maybe I think for this... Uh, I will just go into what's really important right now. For those that haven't worked at home before, you need to set some boundaries. Create a space where you do work only and only work. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that it's you can keep the children away um, if possible, unless they're really young, you may need to adjust this, um, that drinks can't be spilled, et cetera, that distractions are put to the side. You need to make sure that when you step out of that room, you go from being in work to now being in home life yep. or, new hat or on. release life. You put yeah. the new hat on. You need to make sure when you get up in the morning, you keep your routine as consistent as possible to what you would do from a normal working day. Keep that routine because then your body's not reacting to stuff. Your body yep. reacts when it's 
doesn't, it's unfamiliar. Yeah. So be proactive. So get up, have a shower. Have your routine. Rip, Huge. Get out of your pajamas because uh, I'm sure there's a lot of you that are sitting in your pajamas and your boxer shorts, etc. right now or your underwear uh, doing your work at home. Well, you've actually, not- no, you've got to step out and get into the right mental state and, you know, have breakfast, start the day as you would. Then you need to make sure that you've actually got planned time in there to step out, get some exercise, um, recharge the batteries, clear the mind, free the mind, um, and and have a break from things because it's so easy to get caught up, especially when you're at home. And for those that are normally used to being in a really busy office with lots of phone calls and emails going on, you are now going to find you actually, probably not this week, but in the next couple of weeks, you'll find you have a lot more time for yourself and you'll be able to get in the zone and stay in the zone a lot longer. So when you're in that space, it is still important because if you want great performance throughout the whole day, through the whole week, through over the next few months, you've got to proactively put in the recovery now. Otherwise, you will struggle later on. Yep. Um, and, and that is so important. Now, there might be some, if you're like, um, uh, let's see how. So if, if you've heard of the five love languages. Nope. So there are, it's Gary Chapman, check it out. Like fascinating fascinating stuff and it talks about what are the five love languages and how if you can understand what your love language is and you understand what someone else's is and then you know how to work with them so my love language is acts of service so I like it when people do things and I do things that's my love language whereas my wife is physical touch and quality time so she likes to be close to me we don't need to speak don't need to talk much and she just likes to be close to me so there might be an instance where say and because there might be a bit more work to do right now is I might go out in the lounge, but we know clearly that I'm still working. We're, we're aware of that. If we want to, and so I can be close to each other. If we want to have a discussion, I close the laptop, take it back, put it in the office. And then we sit down and have our discussion and talk through things or, or discuss whatever good we tip. want to. It's a good tip for me actually. Cause I'm, yeah, tend to just be 24 seven hovering around the, the, the computer. And sometimes the husband doesn't get the attention that he needs when he needs it, you know, yeah. and actually separating that because you work from home, you know, we work from home always. That delineation is really, really. Yeah. Hard. And relationships are absolutely number one priority. It's so easy for us to brush them off to the side and get busy with work. But in the end, the people that are always going to be there when things are struggling, uh, when, when times are tough, when overwhelm's hitting are your family and your friends. And so if you negate them during mm. any time of the year, you can do it for a little bit, but if you do it over a long period of time, that relationship will deteriorate. So make sure if you've got healthy relationships, you have a healthy life and you have healthy work um, and productivity and performance. Excellent. So that gives a nice wrap, I think, for that. I session. think that's a perfect wrap up. So Craig, where can people reach out to you? I know you have a, a whole bunch of things that you offer and courses and, and, and uh, work that you do with, with um, CEOs and so on um, as a speaker, et cetera. Can you just give us where they can find you and we can put that in the show notes too? Yeah, brilliant. So we have www.nrg, the number two, perform.com. And that's where we have everything around coaching. Um, there's details there on the speaking that I do, um, workshops. I have the Active CEO podcast on there and also a range of videos uh, that I'm doing at the moment. So at the moment, I'm doing a daily video. Mm-hmm. It brings the Breaking the CEO Code principles and relates them directly to COVID-19 and coronavirus. Wow. So there's a three to seven minute 
video coming out every day. You can get it on social media, YouTube, um, and also on the website. And that's around leadership, well-being, and performance in the business space and for home life in that as well. So there's some great opportunities there. I also have a brand new website, which is still in construction, but you can view it at the moment, and that is craigjohnspeaker.com. So craigjohnspeaker.com. And that just focuses more around speaking that I do and emceeing as well. So So yeah, great. So you can grab me on LinkedIn. Uh, Always got stuff happening every day on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Twitter, not so much. I I do stuff there, but my main focus is around LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Fantastic. Craig, thank you so much for your insights, your wisdom, your knowledge today and sharing that in this difficult time. I know that some of these practical work tips and and life tips and and help and support um, will be well received and are going to help people during this crisis. And, you know, right now, more than anything, I think that the work that you do and what we do as well is is very um, pertinent and very relevant to today's crisis um, and keeping people safe and healthy uh, and mentally healthy to get through this this horrible crisis that we're all facing. So, Craig, thank you very much for your time and your energy today and thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, will be um, anything else you want to say before we go? Uh, Lisa, thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, love speaking and connecting with you. Um, bring out some really interesting questions and some great uh, topics to discuss and, and really there to help people. You know, it's pushing the boundaries to go, you know what, let's do things better or even different to what we've done before because it's so important that we have more people out there being high-performing leaders and high-performing people who are having a really positive and calming and effective influence on the people around them right now. So thank you very much. Thanks, Craig. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com. 